Blog Talk Radio. Bristol Motor Speedway. The place where you can forget about work for a while. Celebrate the good old USA. And take in the best bumper banging, fist waving, hero making short track race of the year. The Bass Pro Shops NRA Night Race. It's America's Night Race. This is what you live for. So be there August 18th. It ain't just another race. It's Bristol, baby. This is power. This is tradition. This is Talladega. The biggest party of NASCAR returns October 12th through 14th. This is Spencer Boyd, driver of the number 76 Grunt Style Chevy Camaro. Listen to the pit stop with Tim Despain. from Dega Nation. I'm Tim Despain alongside of SpeedwayDigest.com's Mr. Steven. Steven is located just right outside of Richmond, Richmond Raceway and about I'm about, the way the crow flies, eight miles south of this 2.66 mile monster we call Talladega Super Speedway. Got a big show tonight. Let's go ahead and bring on the Reverend, the official Reverend of the pit stop, Tim Spain, Stephen Wilson, out there on the west coast. And I, I'm hoping it's sunny Southern California by now. Reverend, how you doing, bro? It's still sunny as heck here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, y'all dodged all them fires at you, brother. Well, yeah. I couldn't get out to the racetrack last weekend, the local track, because the smoke was so bad. The doctor told me to stay in the house. But otherwise, we're doing okay. It's finally cleared away. There's still some fire on the far other end of the mountain. But... That's great. That's great. I'm I'm glad they, they about got it under control, is not they? Yeah. Well, that's a good deal, Reverend. Yeah, it was pretty ugly. A lot of people lost a lot of land, but luckily didn't lose a lot of houses. But boy, it was scary there for people for quite a while. It was a rough week. I know it was. And God God blessed everybody out there, Reverend. Yeah, he did. That he did for sure. And all those firemen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We've got uh, Stephen sat down with uh, the uh, NASCAR weatherman on Twitter, Mr. Brian Newdroff. We got a a taped interview with him and Stephen, and we've got uh, Aaron Studwell at Race Weather on uh, Twitter. They do a lot for the uh, weather for NASCAR and post everything so the fans and all can stay up to up to par on where, where the weather's at and what's what's actually going on. They do a really great job on the Twitter post and all that stuff. But, and we've got Aaron coming up here at, uh, at at 20 after the hour. And like I said, Steven's got a tape. Uh, like, he's got a pre-taped interview with Brian. Okay. Let's get this party started so you can uh, get on what you got to do. Yes, sir. Crank it up, Rev. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the things you do. 
We thank you for our amazing firefighters and all those that protect us. We thank you that the injuries were at a minimum and the losses were were at a very, very minimum. A lot, a lot of land burned, as you know, Lord, but very few houses. And we thank you for that. We thank you for a safe weekend of racing. We thank you for a safe weekend coming up. We ask you to be with us all that are involved with auto racing. We also ask you to bless our country and our leaders. And we want to never, ever thank, forget to thank you for sending your son, Jesus the Christ, to watch over us, to die for us in a horrible, horrible way. So that all we have to do is ask. We have entrance into heaven. So we thank you for all those things. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen, Reverend Jeff. As always, Reverend Joe, great invitation. Thank you for doing it week in and week out, brother. We we, we sure do appreciate it. Let everybody know where they can follow you on social media and your website, my friend. Yes, sir. My website is ontrackwithjesus.org. My email is ontrackwithjesus at AOL.com. Our phone number is 951-232-7630. And you can follow me on at Facebook, Bubba Co. That's the best way to get a hold of me. You can always find my other handles on the, on the Pit Stop webpage. We pray for God's blessings on all of you, and we'll be talking to you next week. Reverend Joe, thank you very much. Tell me, Spade, we said hello, and like I said, we'll talk to you next week. Y'all be safe this weekend, bro. All right, you too. All right. 
Thank you, Reverend Joe. Reverend Joe there, Stephen. Uh, we got Stephen there, uh, speedwaydigest.com, right outside of Richmond, Richmond Raceway. Stephen, did you get your dilemma figured out earlier? I know you had texted me, and I put my phone on charge, and I think where you got everything figured out. Yeah, I got it all figured out. Unfortunately, he's sitting in a in a pump house in the middle of a field in, in August. It feels like 140 degrees inside, and I think I got outside dripping, dripping with sweat. Um, now I know what some of these race car drivers feel like sitting in the car for three hours. That's right. Just like Chalk had always said, uh, if you ever want to see exactly how hot it is in a race car when they used to race here at Talladega in in July, just hop in there. It was a it was like a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was more than that. I bet it was. Well, I'm glad you got everything everything figured out. Uh, to let everyone know, the number to call in is two one five three eight three thirty six eighty one. I'm Tim Despain in the Pit Stop Radio. Uh, studio just south of the 2.66 mile boxer we call Talladega Super Speedway. Stephen Wilson's right outside of Richmond there, and uh, in his studio there, SpeedwayDigest.com. Steve, we got a we got a big show tonight. Uh, we've got Aaron Studwell from uh, at Race Weather on Twitter, and you also sit down with uh, Brian Newdorf, uh, the at NASCAR Weatherman on Twitter. They do a lot keeping the fans up to date on storms, weather, what have you coming in the area. They do a really great job, brother. Yeah, it is. So I had a really good conversation with him that we're going to get into a little bit after Aaron is on. So it kind of gives you a little bit of perspective of what each of them do on a given week and weekend when they are following the weather coming through, or if there's a red flag or red flag for weather on the weekend, just how much that they put into it and what their coverage really does for the fans, media drivers, and everybody involved. Stephen, just talk a little bit about this past weekend up there at uh, Michigan International Raceway. Kevin Harvick got his seventh win, brother. Stuart Hart racing in that Ford. They, <laughs> they, they know something, brother. Now I thought that was pretty neat. There was a lot of the fans. I was listening to Sirius XM Radio this morning, and uh, Bagley and them were talking about some of the fans were. I mean, it might have been yesterday morning. We're talking about uh, some of the fans said that. Uh, Having Keelan out there on the track took away from Kevin Harvick's win, and, and I disagree with that. That's the father-son enjoying father-son time. Don't you think so, bro? Yeah, I think, it, you know, this is something that we've been trying to get back into the sport for quite some time and make those connections and tell those stories. And by Kevin going out there and doing that, winning his son's event, he kind of tells the story of why, you know, he, he did what he did and, you know, had Keelan in the car with him and winning at the checker flag. I mean, that resonates not only with the people there at the track, but the people watching at home. It tells a broader story that, um, you know, is um, is what we've been looking for for quite some time. Those connections, not only between the drivers and the drivers' lives, but the kids and everybody that are involved in sport. NASCAR is really, you know, pushing that right now of getting you know, everybody involved into the sport from longtime fans to, you know, kids and, um, you know, parents and everybody else. And that kind of, you know, that really does tell that that story right there. I definitely agree, Stephen. You know, after the uh, announcement the other week, uh, you know, Mr. Brian France got in his little situation there. 
and the sport has been searching for uh, something. And uh, you know, NBC Sports they uh, last weekend at the at the Glen, you know, they put Dale Jr. They actually had Mike Bagley over over in one of the turns. They put them out to sort of sort of give it like a radio feel, if you know what I'm saying, brother. The the broadcasters out in the turns broadcasting play by play just like that. And I think that's sort of helping NASCAR also. I mean, you know, we've gone through some tribes and tribunes here, especially, you know, NASCAR didn't need this deal with Brian France right now. But like you mentioned, with Keelan coming out there, Kevin Harvick getting his seventh win, and Keelan coming out is sort of like you and I, we're media members uh, for uh, of NASCAR. And uh, the NASCAR is one big family. You know, we got a lot of friends in the media center, Bob Pockers, Chris Knight, what have you? And my good friend Al Al Muskie from right up the road here. He just comes to comes to Talladega. But it's like it's like we're all one big family. And 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 to see a father son enjoy that moment, I think like you mentioned, it's it's a it's a lift up for the sport of NASCAR, especially in the time that we're in right now. Yeah, it is. We you know we'll Chase Elliott's win just a week prior to that was kind of overshadowed by everything going on in the sport. But, you know, the the direction will change eventually, and it's going to take some time, but the perception of those changes will start coming sooner than later. And I think that, you know, as you start, you, you saw Chase Elliott win, you saw what happened at Michigan. I think the drivers have been trying to get involved as much as they possibly can to put the sport in the best possible light that they can. And, you know, they've been without, you know, a, a lacking of leadership to some degree um, with Brian not coming to the track. And Jim was at the track this weekend along with Mike Helton and others were at the track. Many of them spoke with the drivers and all the partners and people involved. And I think that's a show of them wanting to make the changes and needing to make the changes. And it's going to be a slow process, indefinitely, but uh, overall, I, I think there's a lot of good things coming for the sport in general. And I think Jim and Lisa and, and Mike Helton and everybody involved can kind of, you know, navigate the ship through these troubled waters at this time. Exactly, Seven. I'm on a, I'm on swap blames on you here for for a second. Uh, Bob Pockers reported this morning. Uh, we got a little bit of breaking news there. Uh, Bob Bob Pockers come out. You know, BK Racing is coming up for bid Monday, August twentieth, which would be before our next Tuesday show. Bob uh, Bob wrote or broke this story earlier this morning. I had I had heard that he uh, he heard that to buy the uh, charter, it's going to take fifty thousand dollars just to purchase that one charter that BK Racing has. You know, Ron just on ahead the one charter even though he run two sometimes three cars there but he only had the one charter which guaranteed that that one that car in the race every week and also bob reported that it's going to take 68 more thousand dollars to pay off what the charter owes and i i just sort of throw out at you i don't really know exactly what i understand what he's talking about about the about the fifty thousand dollars purchase of that charter but what exactly is he talking about the other sixty-eight thousand dollars to pay off debt. Did, did that debt? Did some of that debt go with the charter that Ron Devine had there at BK Racing? Um, so there's a couple of different things that I've read through 
over time, and it seems like BK Racing and the number 23 car are behind on entry fees and some other fees that are owed to NASCAR as far as far as um, the charter is concerned. So those could potentially be to pay off those entry fees that 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 are behind or haven't been paid in full. Um, they could be licenses. They could be all kinds of things. Um, business ser- uh, service agreements. There could be a multitude of different things that that could be behind that charter or that charter has been used as some kind of collateral for. Um, but, yeah, um, it, it, it's going to take some money. Whoever is going to end up bu- purchasing this, I think, overall, um, you know, they're they're saying, I think, $7 million, $8 million or something in total is owed to the creditors or people that have at least come forward with claims of credit. Um whether they're going to get seven or eight million dollars for this, I'm not sure because Mike Bean and GMS Racing uh, they put a bid in for about 1.5 million dollars, um, so it's going to be nowhere near, and all the debts are definitely not going to be paid off uh, across the board. And I think that the court has also said that um, I don't know what it is a couple hundred thousand dollars or something like that that's due to employees benefits taxes, um, you know, all the things that come with employment. Um, I think that the judge has also said that those were never, those are not going to be repaid. The, the employees are not going to get their money. They're not going to get their retirement, their benefits, um, you know, taxes that were owed, all these things that came along with it. I think, you know, the, those things will, you know, if there's money left over, I think the way that the judge put it, if money is left over, they can pay those debts. But however, everything has to go to the creditors first, the bank, NASCAR, um, anything else out, suppliers that have um, sought money. And um, if they're going to get to that seven, eight million dollars, I think is what they're looking for in total. It's going to be a really long wait because the assets itself is not going to support that. Yeah, that's right, Stephen. And you and I have spoke on several different occasions. I've spoke with Ron Devine on several different occasions, and he is aware that Mike Beam is going to put that bid up. I think he said 1.8 million is what he's going to bid, but that's going to that's just going to be the 1.8 million bid plus that other hundred and ten thousand dollars is going to come along with that. And Ron told me that he is going to bid. He said Mike Beam is not going to get it. Uh, that's just Ron Ron Devine and I talking. That's my opinion and. You know, Ron told me that he said he is he is going to be it. And Stephen, uh, uh, did from what I understand, Ron filed Chapter Eleven, which that that Chapter Eleven kept him out of that bankruptcy, but it got the BK Racing part of it. Am I correct? I'm not real swift on all that on all that kind of stuff. How how they file? I think Suzanne told me it's seven eleven, and but I think he did file Chapter Eleven. Correct. Yeah, which was just a reorganization, but the court unfortunately said that they couldn't enter into Chapter 11. They're going to have to eventually go through a liquidation is what they're doing now. Um, so the courts have modified that to liquidate the assets to pay the creditors. So um, it went from a reorganizational standpoint to a liquidation, which is that Chapter 7 Um and, you know, they, they've taken many people out of positions there um, of ownership and 
out of executives and uh, other people that are been running the team, and it's being run by a court-appointed receiver whose job is to solely uh, liquidate the assets for maximum uh, profits or maximum credit uh, repayment. Thank you for clarifying that, Stephen, because I didn't know exactly how, how, how all that worked. But um, like I said, uh, the number to call is 215-383-3681. I'm Tim Spain. We're waiting on Aaron Studwell to come on and join us and talk a little bit about he, how he and Brian do the the uh, the weather and everything. But Stephen, uh, we've got. Uh, I was trying to search for uh, BK Racing has. Uh, they've put Blake Jones in that number twenty three Toyota Camry there. Uh, Gray Golden stepped out. Uh, I think it was was it was it sponsorship deal there with Gray. The, the reason Gray got out of the car and they put Blake Jones in there now, I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, essentially, Greg Alding has been driving that car for free. Um, he's not; he was not getting paid uh, to 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 race that race, to race that car on a weekend. Uh, and the sponsorship money, there was very little coming in from that aspect. So, the core point receiver has brought in drivers that have some type of funding or more funding. And um, you know, so that the the capital expenditures are not as expensive on on a given weekend. Thank you, Stephen. Listeners, that's my ex, that's my expert guy there. He knows all the big words and stuff. All I know is just just to go to him. <laughs> yeah, not a problem. I mean, it's you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on with this, and we could probably talk about those for. Quite some time. I mean, there, this 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 will eventually come to a head, and it'll be coming to a head very shortly. With um, you know, the 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 sale to the court or um, the the auction to the court that um, will eventually put this to rest at some point, and it'll be interesting to see who eventually comes out on top. We already know the Mike Beam situation, but we don't know who else is out there, and there's. Apparently, several others that have either put in bids um, or are are going to put in bids by the by the end of uh, I think it's Monday or something that it's required to be in by. Well, just to let you know, if I hit the if I hit the Powerball between now and then, uh, ten to Spain's probably going to put a bid in. But it's going to have to have the Powerball on my side, brother. <laughs> I think a lot of people have been trying to do that for quite some time. Yeah, exactly. And Ben, uh, Stephen, uh, let me change lanes again since we're waiting on Aaron here. Uh, uh, Ty Dillon, uh, it's been all over social media. It's been all over Facebook, Twitter, NBC Sports was talking about it yesterday evening. And uh, Ty Dillon, the, you know, I was watching it, and I didn't really know exactly what he run over. But actually, Stephen, it was the battery out of the car of Timmy Hill that, <coughs> excuse me, that actually come out of the car, and Ty run over. And when Ty run over, I thought, man, it tore. It tore the oil pan out from under that Geico Chevrolet. It tore everything up, brother. And some of the fans or some of the, some of my friends have asked me, why did NASCAR not throw a caution? I said, look, I didn't see it. 
NASCAR obviously didn't see it. And you're going in, you're going in the end of the corners there, two ten, two twelve, sometimes two fourteen. They're getting some yonder around Michigan International Speedway. When that battery come out, I don't think Timmy Hill know that he lost the battery. I really don't. Can you help me out on that, brother? I, I, I've had a lot of questions that I want to take up for NASCAR because everybody's always said, well, there's a phantom caution. Where's the debris? Where's the debris? Well, we actually had some debris, but the way they're getting around that track, they're getting some yonder. NASCAR did not have time to act. I don't think they've seen it, Stephen, honestly. No, I don't. I mean, there there had been uh, calls for debris right prior to that, but the the official that was stationed in the area or near the back stretch somewhere, um, I don't know exactly where they were stationed at, but um, they were in the general vicinity at some point. Um, had had reached out that, and this was before the battery came out and often um, tied down and hit the battery. Um, that it was. Um, I think some kind of tape or something like that that was on the racetrack, and three or four drivers said it. And um, you know, it kept it kept getting pushed around the track. So I think that you know, at the same time, you know, drivers are you know they're they you know they're making um, you know they're 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 putting this out on the radio. NASCAR is listening to this. You know, they they've checked it one or two or three times at this point, and, and they're seeing something else, but. You know, when a black battery falls out of a car and it's sitting in the middle of a track and you've got tape or whatever the, whatever it was, bare bond that, you know, was already, uh, you know, being called for, you know, you know, debris on the racetrack. I mean, you know, for from a, from a human standpoint, sometimes, you know, you've already heard this three or four or five times on the radio or whatever the number is, and the next thing you know, um, there's something black sitting in front of you, and well, you've heard two or three or whatever the number of people before say, well, this is what it is, and you see something black, and you know you figure the two, three, four people have already seen whatever, but you know this time it's a little different. It's a battery sitting in the middle of the racetrack, and um, you know Todd Dillon hit that thing around two o eight ish, I think, two ten. Exactly. So I mean that that tore that tore everything. From the front end of the car and the underneath, you know, the bottom side of the motor totally out, and you know it, it ended his day. So um, you know, and that, and that thing was just obliterated too. The battery itself was obliterated to the point that there was really nothing out there for um, somebody to go and pick up. I mean, the, you know, the jet dryers would go clean that stuff up and put a lot of sand and whatever down because of the water and the oil on the racetrack, but. Um, yeah, there, I mean, it was just an unfortunate situation with that, to be honest with you, and this could have really just happen with anybody at any time. Exactly, and as we say here in Talladega, Talladega, however you say it, uh, that thing was, it got some yonder. I mean, <laughs> that battery come apart, brother. And a lot of people were asking, asking me, so, Tim, it it didn't look big enough to be a battery. I said, well, the batteries now, they're compact them down because, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen, the battery is in on the driver's side inside the right fender wheel, right behind the driver. And undoubtedly, something must not have got tightened. But, I mean, you know, going around that racetrack, like you mentioned, they're, they're going in the corners at 212, 214, and there's bumps at Michigan. A lot of people don't realize, you watch them cars go around, there's bumps. They're actually hitting hitting bumps. And I'm not saying one of the crew members 
left some screws on that crush panel loose. I'm not saying that, but something vibrated loose. And now that they've done that, Stephen, uh, I hope NASCAR don't go as far as trying to put a tether on that on that battery because if you have to come in and change it, I don't think they will. I'm just bringing it up. If they try to tether that battery inside the the fender well right right behind the driver, right below the C-post there on the uh, car, if they, if, if they try tethering that in, that's going to make it that much longer to change a battery out if if a, if a driver or crew has to do that, Stephen. Don't you agree? Yeah, well, the way that it's designed is, is that it's designed with a quick disconnect on to the end of it, of the two terminals, and they can basically just pull these things out, and they're not that much bigger than a motorcycle battery. And they usually put two of them in there, and they're mounted or taped together or, you know, mounted some way, but, you know, that they're both together. They put both batteries in at one time. So it's not much bigger than, than, a, than a lawnmower battery, both of them together. And the quick disconnect allows them to pull out, but there's also a panel on the back side of it that there's uh, bolts that go into it that they have to, you know, bolt the panel back on. Um, and, you know, it's just a thin piece of sheet metal, to be honest with you. So at the end of the day, you know, anything can happen. Parts, you know, bolts fail, sheet, sheet metal fails. Lots of things can happen. And because of this, it's not screwed in like your car battery is where it's and terminals are screwed and bolted in and it's actually in a in a plate at the bottom that keeps it from you know moving around but so much in, in a battery compartment but uh, you know these things just have a really quick disc uh, quick disconnect on it I mean it's like you know you know it takes half a second to pull these things apart so I mean the weight behind them and if they shift out of place yeah they can just fall off of a race car without any problem at all it was sort sort of like a VGA cable, so it sort of let some of our listeners know, pops in, pops out. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's um, it's uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's got more female connection, so. What's that? It's got a little bit more of uh, sort of like a snap. Am I correct, Stephen? You know, like them. Uh, I have some little gadgets I got at work in the in the substations with the telecommunication part. It comes like a like a plastic plug. Uh, say for I know you're not gonna know what I'm talking about. Say like a regulator panel inside a substation. It's got a it's got wires that goes in this quick connect and it's it's sort of got uh, you know how you mash down the little white knobs and it pops out and you pop it back in. I, sort of something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I mean, it's just pretty just, you know, they snap together and then they unsnap very, very easily. 10-4. Stephen, let's take a little quick break while we wait on Aaron to call in. Uh, number to call in is 215-383-3681. I'm Tim Despain, just south of the 2.66-mile monster we call Tidal Super Speedway. And Stephen Wilson is just north of Richmond Raceway. We'll be right back to Pit Stop with Tim Despain and Stephen Wilson. Kind of car you want to drive when you're 16 fast 
That's the kind of boys that you want on your home team fast. Yeah, you think you're going to catch your big dreams just like that fast. And here you are, looking back. 60 seconds now feels more like 30. TikTok won't stop and round it goes. Sand through the glass, your falls in a hurry. And all you keep trying to do is slow it down. So get in, keep trying to make the good times last. goes too fast. Fast. That's what your parents said when we were falling in love. It's too fast. There ain't no way the two of us were ever gonna last. But we did. And here we are. And our only problem is 60 seconds now feels more Number 76, Grunt Style Chevy Camaro, and listen to the pit stop with Tim Despain. 
We're back live from Vega Nation. I'm Tim Spain, alongside SpeedwayDigestRadio.com, Mr. Stephen Wilson. Stephen, I understand you have Aaron on hold, brother. Yeah, I've got, I've got Aaron on with us right now. Well, that's good. I'm really going to do all that. Good evening, Aaron. How you doing, brother? Thanks for taking time to come on. Oh, glad I could make it. Uh, sorry about the confusion, and uh, just glad to have a chance to talk to the show. Cause I know we followed one another for a while and supported one another as we were both kind of growing our bases here, and uh, good to have the opportunity to finally talk. That sounds good, Aaron. And Aaron... Uh, if I can, Steve, let me ask Aaron a couple of questions because I know his his time is limited, and we've got Brian's interview that 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 we also want to play. Aaron, you've been doing meteorology. I think you I think you graduated from Mississippi State. Uh, you've been doing meteorology for a long time. How did you actually get involved in with you and Brian doing this NASCAR stuff and posting everything on on the Twitter to let it to let the fans know exactly where the rain is, where it's not, uh, the warnings and all that. This how, how how did all that come about, bro? Well, it originally started my uh, undergraduate degrees from Michigan in aerospace engineering, and I had a chance, had opportunities to kind of work with some NASCAR teams a few years back. Uh, and actually had interviewed for jobs to be like an uh, engineer and then also be a, a race day meteorologist. And that kind of fell through. I have a master's in meteorology from Texas A&M. And in about 2002, 2003, we were looking at a hurricane that was going to hit the Dover track uh, on race weekend. And so I started posting things, and of all things, the NASCAR 2003 forums because I was racing online, which is now kind of transformed to iRacing, and just kind of dispersing the information that way. So I got to a point like, okay, let's get a website. And then when Twitter finally took off, we started. Um, I started working in – putting out the reports and putting out the updated radars, and as technology has improved, uh, we've gotten more timely information. So it was about two, three years ago when Brian and I started, finally said, hey, look, well, there's no point in us competing with one another, that we're, we have the same mission, we have the same interest in being there for the fans, and so now we coordinate, we talk about the forecast, we coordinate on our updates, uh, it's really become a team effort, and um, it's been great working with him. And it also gives us the chance for if he has something going on on the weekend, he I can cover it, or we we work in advance or vice versa. If I'm out of town, he can cover it. So there's always coverage there for the fans. And Aaron, uh, you know as well as I do, and Stephen does too, and Brian does also. It, it's it's hard to really pinpoint the weather sometimes, and y'all do a great job doing that. Like um, my wife. Suzanne and I, we were very fortunate enough to go to the Foles of Honor Quick Trip 500 this past February in Atlanta. We got we got to cover that. Well, we got up that uh, Sunday morning from the hotel room, and Stephen had already texted me. Uh, Stephen said, Tim, it is, it is going to rain all day long. I said, well, we're going to get up, go eat some breakfast, and ease on over that way. Well, as soon as we got done eating, uh, Aaron, uh, we went down and rode. I like to go back ways to especially Atlanta because the traffic's rough. But it come a stinking flood, Aaron. I mean, I'm talking about the wind got up, it coming down, pouring. Suzanne said, what you want to do? I said, we're going to go on to the track anyway. So we got in there and parked in the media center and got out and everything. And I think I had sent Stephen a picture. The skies was parked, but there was a lot of weather people. I know you were not one of them. 
you and Brian were not. There were a lot of local Atlanta weather meteorologists saying they're not going to get this race in. No way. It's not going to get it in. Well, when we got there, the rain stopped. Jet dryers come out. They dried that mile and a half track there at Atlanta Motor Speedway. We went racing, and as soon as the checkered flag fell, Aaron, the bottom fell out. It's just tough, isn't it, brother? It is, and that was a situation where we're watching the radar, and the rain is no more than six, ten miles from the track. And and then, like you said, the skies just opened up afterwards. It's it's tough, and we just do the best job we can. We communicate. We realize that we're not going to meet uh, everyone's expectations, but we're also not going to what you might call wish cast. And people, oh, my gosh, we want it to be nice, so we're going to have a nice forecast. We're, we really need and we really believe that what we give to the fans is what they deserve, and it's going to be a forecast that is accurate and reflective so they can plan ahead. And we've made, I hate to say enemies, we've had people who own tracks, we've had people who, um, you know, are tra- and track presidents who aren't our fans because we may be too honest. And they say we keep it, we keep the um, uh, people away. And I actually had one track, uh, we put an early forecast out, and, and it's not a lie, but you kind of can't give them the information that you think they want to hear. Exactly, Eric. And my final question before I throw you over to uh, Stephen Wilson at Speedway Digest dot com is there is there multiple radar sites that you and Brian use to sort of pinpoint? Like here in Talladega, you know, we have multiple radar sites. They have a Huntsville site. We got a Birmingham site. We got a Montgomery site. Do y'all monitor all the all the radar sites around that facility and before y'all post everything? Because I know, you know, you can see I'm I'm not a weather man by far, but you can see from from one radar site to another, you can see something different, correct? Right, because the uh, that's a great example with uh, about Talladega too. Is that if I have storms moving in from the north, and I just want to track them, the radar that in Birmingham may just totally cannot overshoot, may just overshoot the tops or kind of hit the tops, and you don't have a real reflection on the strength of the storm. So that Huntsville radar is going to give you a better idea. So we'll kind of track. We know which way the storms are coming, and we know which way they're going to move in from. So we'll start further away and start tracking and advancing all the way through. We had that uh, a couple of weeks ago at Watkins Glen as well because we're sitting here watching the radars and we're like an hour and a half, two hours notice for the uh, Xfinity race, but you see people who are at the track is like, oh, look, it's, it's radar is just showing certain show storms in the area. It's like, you've been talking about those storms for an hour and a half. And, and they try to play <laughs> it off. The media people try to play it off, but it's not responsible. I mean, so you, you have people like Brian and myself who are trained and experienced and really just do our best. And yeah, we look at multiple sources and um, really have an understanding for how the weather advances. You know, there are some tracks that Brian's more familiar with than I am uh, because he's worked in the New York markets before, but I lived in Michigan for seven, eight years and I live in Texas now. So I understand the patterns we see at uh, Texas motor speedway and MIS. Aaron, thank you very much for taking time to call in. I'm going to throw you over to SpeedwayDigest.com with Mr. Stephen Wilson. Thank you for everything that you do for the sport, keeping Stephen and I and all of the, all, all the fans up to date. Y'all can follow Aaron at RaceWeather on Twitter, and I look forward to meeting you at a NASCAR track soon, Aaron. Thank you again, brother.
Oh, that'd be great to have the opportunity to meet. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. Thank Thanks you, Eric. I, I, uh, I appreciate taking time to come on here tonight. What do you think is the hardest thing that you guys have to contend with on a weekend? And not just necessarily just, you know, just each of you are some distance apart and each of you may see something a little differently than the other. But aside from that, what do you think the hardest thing is about covering the weather for this sport, especially in a sport that's so fan-driven and so interconnected these days that they see a drop of rain 100 miles out and everybody starts to think twice about do I go to a race or not? I think the hardest thing to deal with, and this is personally, and I've actually had um, some media people kind of, I hate to say, uh, Coach Gann, this might be the best way to say it, is and I, is trolls. And it's the people who are like, you're wrong, you're stupid, you don't know what you're talking about. And, like, and you read that stuff, and I know I'm trained and I know I have the experience that you read that information. It's like, well, who the heck are you? And But it's hard to keep that out of your head. But I've actually had media folks and say, come out and say, hey, look, you all do a great job. We rely on you. So it's getting that information. I've also had situations where, uh, like I said, you know, track owners and track presidents have come out and said, oh, look, the weatherman's wrong again. He should hang his head in shame. And I'm like, what in the world did that come from? And it's actually the track president posted it. And like, are you kidding me? And I actually reached out to the track, and they issued Brian and I apology for that one. Um, so it, it's really the people who think they know better and kind of diminish what I do for a career and then what we try to bring to the uh, sport. It, you talked and just touched on this a little bit earlier that you're, you you came from the days of posting on forums to websites to now this interconnected social media that we have today. How do you think that's changed the sport and changed the way that you guys cover the sport? I, I think there's more of a one of an expectation of immediacy and that, you know, from both, I think both from the press and the people who, and of the people who are at the track reporting that if you see something, they expect it to be an immediate post and immediate response. But there's sometimes we want to look at and understand the situation. It's not going to be, Oh, there's a shower here. And it's going to be here in 45 minutes. We don't know that. I mean, we saw that earlier this year, with the showers in Michigan where the storms were pretty close, but there was enough dry air around the area. They were going to dissipate before they reached the track, but that's not something, you know, until we go in and look at the data and I don't want to just have a rushed out answer. So I think there's this demand for immediacy that you may not have had uh, five, seven years ago. How much time do you guys put in, to to what you do, not only on a daily basis to cover the sport, but how much do you put into your weekend sometimes? And especially, more specifically, how much time do you guys put into, like in Atlanta, let's use the Atlanta that that Tim was talking about earlier. That was a weekend that you guys were, it was a very constant type of monitoring situation. How How much time is it that you think that you guys put into it and um, to, to get the information out to people in the best possible terms or to even warn people before they get to the racetrack. Yeah, for a situation like Atlanta, uh, we'll put in – I'll put in, like today, we're looking at we're race not racing until Thursday. And I know Brian will say the same thing, that we there sometimes we just want a day off. Like yesterday, I kind of cleaned up the site a little bit, but I didn't put anything up for Bristol. Um, 
probably 30 minutes a day on just weekdays. For a rainy day, like Atlanta was, it'll be from the moment I get out of bed. Even maybe before I get to bed, I'll get my phone and look at the Atlanta radar. I may just tweet, say, here's a radar update before I even really get started on the day. And then from there, it's continuous. It is every 10 minutes checking the radar. It's texting Brian. We may call. Um, it's being in a situation where the communication between him and I is something we've just figured out maybe the last year. We're going to take turns updating things, what we got on the radar, and make sure we kind of complement and enforce to the people that we're working together as a team, but we don't want to be stepping on one another's toes. So we're always going to be saying, okay, I've got the next one, or like there was a time during the Atlanta race, I was driving. I had to drive somewhere. Hey, Brian, can you get the next two? So in a situation like Atlanta, it could be from 7.30 in the morning till 5 o'clock at night. So we're giving our own time on this. Because we love the sport and because we love the weather and we really want to provide a quality service to the fans. Going forward, Etima um, has has this new weather guarantee policy, policy. This is something that Atlanta did before. NASCAR and other tracks have um, partnered with, with various different organizations for weather on the weekends. How do you guys feel that you can change the shape of the sport and the information that's getting out there for the fans themselves. Uh, we have a good relationship, and I'll speak for myself, and I'm sure Brian does as well. We have good relationships with the tracks, um, and we'll we'll work with the tracks. Uh, we'll work with NASCAR when we're requested. Um, that we're in a situation where we want to be and make sure we have the best information, and so we're in a situation that. Uh, we'll just get, I mean, we'll go forward and we'll probably expand the relationships we have with the uh, SMI tracks and let them know we're here as a resource and we don't have a dog in the fight. We we love racing. We want to see them race, but we're also going to give you the most accurate forecast because the situation is, you know, you're, I was I did energy trading meteorology, so there are millions of dollars on my decisions as well. You're only as good as your you're only as good as your last forecast. If you mess up too many times in a row. They're going to stop listening to you. They're going to stop believing you. And you really just want to put forth your best effort and make sure you have a quality product, quality service, and great communications with the tracks. Aaron, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here tonight. I'm I'm going to get into Brian's uh, interview here just very shortly that I pre-taped with him. Uh, But before we let you get out of here, let everybody know where they can follow you at on Twitter, Facebook, your website, and your Patreon page. Talk about that just a little bit before you, we let you go. Well, we'll start with the Patreon page, and that's something we've just started over the last year and change, and we're uh, kind of going with the Jeff Gluck model. We're giving uh, premium upscaled, up, uh, upscaled content, early forecasts to our uh, subscribers, and those come on Sunday nights, and then we use it for updates during the week for everybody. Um, so if you go to Patreon during the week, especially during the latter part of the week, uh, we'll keep that updated, and we'll keep that information posted and really kind of have a forecast discussion with it as well. Uh, my web- website is uh, raceweather.net. We're in our – I've been – this is probably the 15th season. I've had raceweather.net as an actual domain. And it's evolved. It's changed. I'm working with a company out of North Carolina now for hosting and for design and 
has been quite the boon for me. So raceweather.net, we keep updated and the radars and discussions. And then at raceweather uh, on Twitter. And you get a little bit of insight into me. You get feedback during the race. You get my opinions during the race as well as weather updates. So if you're looking for a bit more social experience and a little bit more insight into what's going on and in, into the process, uh, it's raceweather.net. Uh, I'm sorry, it's at raceweather. And then on Facebook, uh, just search raceweather and it'll come up. And that's a page where we have our, our subscribers and we have our followers. And uh, we get some good discussions going over there too. And it's just any platform that we can reach out and distribute the information to our uh, followers, the better it works for everybody, uh, the more, you know, the safe, safety of the fans, the crews, the media. Yeah, it's really while we're here. Aaron, thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking the time and talking a little bit about what you guys do and you do on the weekend to keep the fans informed out there, especially because of the weather. We're such a fan-driven sport, and weather is really a lot of things that tell us whether we're going to whether we're going to race on a weekend and see a race or whether we're going to have to wait until another day. But, again, thanks a lot. I do appreciate you coming on here tonight and um, look forward to your continued coverage of the sport. Thanks. And anytime you want to just talk racing, you'd love to come back on the show. And uh, thanks for having me on tonight. Sure, not a problem. Thanks a lot, Aaron. Thank you. Good night. Aaron Stoodwell there, Stephen. Uh, I didn't realize how much time he and Brian put into it. They put a lot of time into tracking the forecast out so many days and you know a lot of weather people you don't you can't track it out no further than seven days you know i've heard uh our weather lady that we had on on the show you know years ago Stephen, she had to stop uh this megan thomas abc 3340 it's hard to broadcast it's, it's hard to forecast out we out there and aaron and brian they do an awesome job letting the fans know like you said posting everything on social media and i didn't know that they had actually teamed up to quit you know not really book heads but to do all that that's pretty awesome yeah it is because of you know as we've all consolidated in the sport sometimes we've we've consolidated to help one another out and we've been two working together it, 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 that's kind of why I asked the question about how much time they put into it because they are constantly on social media and they are on there all day and sometimes late in, into the night when we've had some very bad weather and into the next day. And they have jobs themselves like most of us do that cover the sport and they give a lot of time to the sport themselves. Um, so, you know, for them to work together, it, uh, it, 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 it's helpful for them because they can do things and be able to to cover the sport from many different angles all at one time. And um, it's helpful to the fans. It's helpful to the tracks. It's helpful to everybody involved into this because sometimes, unfortunately, we just don't get to go racing when we want to go racing. And sometimes we don't get to go on the same day. Sometimes it's the next day. And that's the, that's the part of the sport that we all have to sit and remember that, you know, we, we have a lot of, we have a lot riding on the weather and um, yeah, it sucks. Sometimes we don't get to watch the race that day or that hour or 12 hours later, or even till the next day. Um, but it, it just goes to show that there, there, it, it takes everything to put this sport on and the weather is sometimes the biggest factor of it all. Exactly, Stephen. And like you mentioned earlier, we could talk about weather 
We could talk about the sun. We could talk about the clouds, the teams watching when they were going to go out and qualify. This cloud's going to come here. This cloud's going to come there. The weather plays a big part, Stephen. It really does. And um, you sat down with Brian Newdrove. If I don't let me mess up, NASCAR weatherman, Stephen. Uh, you sit down with him. Let's go ahead and play his interview, and uh, we'll be right back after uh, this big interview with Brian. I know. I know Stephen done all supporting. And we're back with Stephen Wilson. I am the co-host with uh, tonight. We're going to have Brian Newdorf on, who is the weather guy on Twitter. A lot of you have probably followed him over the years, but I'd like to bring him on now. Brian, thanks a lot. I appreciate you coming on tonight and talking to us uh, a little bit about what you do, not only for the weather forecast, but for the fans in general. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad to be on. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Um, yeah, ten seasons, hard to believe. It's been doing this for ten years now. Uh, and I'm honored that, you know, started off with a couple of thousand followers, maybe up to about six before, and then it's grown to 38,000 hard to believe that that many people find what I have to say interesting, but hey, I appreciate it. You know, weather has been one thing that NASCAR has combated over the years, and a lot of people can, you know, just come out with the argument, and we still see this argument today. Why don't we just put caps over top of, you know, everything and make them domes? Well, you know, the obvious answer is, you know, the carbon monoxide is going to knock you out. But, you know, aside from that, you know, fans are always looking for a way to either escape the weather when it's hot or what to do when it's cold or rainy or snowy and all the other kinds of forecasts that we get out there. Talk a little bit about how you got started and how you actually are an on-air weather personality. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it started off, I'm a meteorologist. Uh, I have a, my degree in, in meteorology from Purdue University. I'm a broadcast meteorologist. And when I started uh, NASCAR Weatherman, uh, I was actually doing it on my I was actually doing it on my own Twitter account, the one I had for work. And Twitter was still fairly new, and I didn't have that many followers. And what happened was, is I was watching a NASCAR race, and I was watching. I think it was a Fox broadcast that they were talking about. Hey, rain's approaching the track. I think it was a Pocono race. Seems fitting, doesn't it? Um, but uh, they were talking about rain approaching the track, and they weren't, in my opinion, as a broadcaster, they were making the big cardinal sin. They weren't showing the viewers the weather. They were. They were saying, Hey, it's going to rain but they weren't showing a radar. They weren't showing people or they weren't giving it. So all oh, the drivers are driving hard. So I thought, well, hey, I'm on this thing called Twitter. I may have some NASCAR fans out there. I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to grab some. I, I, so at the time, before a lot of the software came out, I grabbed Google Earth. I used a subscription of WeatherTap, which you'll see a lot of the, the drivers and different things. And I was using the, the KML files for WeatherTap and put it on Google Earth. And then there was my map. And then I was just sending it out uh, to um, I was just sending it out on Twitter and saying, hey, rain is this far away, or hey, rain is about to approach the track, this is what's going to happen, and fans started to like that. And then from there, uh, Jeff Buck, obviously, was still getting into Twitter and out, out there, and he kind of started saying he really thought what I was doing was pretty cool. And then he was like, hey, why don't you do forecasts for each week? I'm like, oh, okay, sure, I'll, I'll do a forecast. So then it started me doing forecasts each week. Uh, and then shortly after I started doing that, I actually met Jeff uh, at my first race in 2008 at Watkins Glen because I was working in Rochester, New York at the time. And so from there, I guess you could say NASCAR Weatherman uh, was born. And from then on, uh, I just and, – and it really just started – I'm a fan who happened to be a meteorologist who happened to have this information to help fans and give them in, in, information during a race 
of how weather was going to impact the race. It just started off as watching a race, knowing that rain was coming, and letting fans know how close it was, you know, how much time was left, you know, what it might do to the race. And then from there, it just turned into forecasts. And then here we are now, 10 years later, and now working with Aaron Studwell, known as Race Weather, uh, for this NASCAR weather thing I've been doing for the last 10 seasons. Over the last 10 seasons, you've, you've seen a prevalence of not only social media, but the rise of smartphones. Everybody today has a smartphone. Everybody has a Twitter account, a Facebook account, some kind of account out there. So it kind of gives that interpersonal where you can go out and reach the fans directly. But sometimes it's always it, the fans out there, now that they have access to this information, they can go out and say, well, I've gone to AccuWeather, I've gone to this place, or I've gone to that place. How do you differentiate yourself a little bit from these other sites out there and, and media in general that has taken a snapshot of AccuWeather and put it out there as, as a weather forecast or what's going on on a race weekend? That's a good question, and I, I, I sometimes get a little defensive because I spend uh, at least an hour or two putting a forecast together each week for the race. I know Aaron does as well. And so then what's – and I think the one that's always frustrating is you, you'll send out – you hit the, the send button. And then somebody will respond back and go, well, my app says this, like, 60 seconds later. And you're like, man, I just spent all this time, you know, I could have just sent an app. No. Uh, and all honesty, and I understand where they're coming from. And I think a lot of times I see more of this when there's rain in the forecast, and either people want rain, like at a, like a race weekend where they can use rain tires, or they want it completely dry, and your forecast is different than what an app says. And I like to look at it as like, unfortunately, in the world, we like to get the best deal, right? You know, you go you go shopping, you're shopping around for the best deal. I like to think sometimes weather apps and weather information the same way. People want the best deal, or they want the best information, or sometimes they just want the information they want. Meteorologists call this wish casting. <laughs> sometimes it happens in a snowstorm, you know. Some meteorologists really want a snowstorm after they've just been waiting and waiting, and so we, and I mean, I've been guilty of this too in my career. We call wish casting, meaning we we're, we're forecasting weather we hope will happen, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know, it's, it's sometimes we're playing the odds a little too thin there. So how do I respond to that? I mean, there is great information. And at the end of the day, yeah, I, you know, I want people to be as informed. But what separates myself and Aaron from these weather apps is for 10 seasons and even longer for Aaron, you know, we've been forecasting this, these different tracks. So kind of like how I'm an expert in Idaho, where I'm currently working at KMBT in Twin Falls, I have a better handle of how weather systems work their way, you know, over a region. So now if I've seen different scenarios for different tracks, I have a better handling of what's going on because a lot of times these weather apps is just one single model printing out data and there's no interpretation. The different, that's where the difference between a human element and a machine element is because a lot of people like to think that these weather apps are getting this, an individual has spent all these hours writing these forecasts and putting it out there like I'm doing. But the truth is that's just impossible. So those are just computer models or uh, maybe a fine-tuned computer model printing out weather information for a location and just spitting it out as a forecast. Um, so that's what brings back to myself and Aaron that, that update. Plus, each weekend, I'm thinking about the fan. I know what it's like to be a fan. I know what it's like to spend money for a race. I know what it's like to drive to a race. I know all of that stuff that goes into it. I know for the media standpoint how much time it takes to you know, travel and airlines and stuff like that. So these are all things that a weather app can't put into context. I can. And at the end of the day, that's what separates me is I can think like the fan. I know what the fan wants. And that's how I gear my forecast. 
And that's how Aaron and I both approach our forecast. That's why the term odds of racing came about was because, I mean, percent chance of rain can kind of, people are confused. If I ask four different people, I might get four different answers of what percent chance of rain means. But if I say, hey, we've got a 65% ch- uh, 65 or odds of racing are 65%, well, now that tells you, okay, well, Brian thinks he's probably going to get this in, but there's going to be some rain. So it's pretty straightforward, and I think that's the big difference is that you've got somebody who's a fan working for fans and, you know, knows what the fans want, knows the information they want, and can break it down extremely simply because I've been in rainouts, I've traveled, I've spent the money, I've done everything like the fans have done, and I know what's important to the fans, the teams, the anybody who follows me, and that's the big difference. You talked a lot about just the fan perspective of this all and, and the time and travel and everything that goes into it from all different, the series, the, the drivers, the media, the fans that come to the track and even the track that puts it on. But on a weekend when it does, weather does come through the area and is threatening a race. And on a Friday or Saturday, we're hearing 50% or 20%. We're hearing numbers all over the place. How much of it do you change the way that you 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 go out there and and report the weather throughout the weekend to give the best possible odds of you know a fan getting to the track and knowing what they're getting into or sometimes they just don't go at all because they hear it's going to be 80 percent and we're definitely going to rain uh run a race on monday and then i think that's the difference between again a model and reading a forecast from and, and, and listen i think I, if you're going to look for a second best source compared to Aaron and I, the National Weather Service is a good source. But you have to understand what those percent chance of rain means, okay? That's for an entire day, okay? That's like a 12-hour stretch during the daytime. That 20, that like, let's say you see 80% chance of rain on, um, let's say it's Sunday, it says, uh, and we're going, we're, we're, okay, this is hypothetical, all right? I'm just going to throw out, let's say, you know, it was Pocono, and you got an 80% chance of rain, and people go, oh, it's 80% chance I'm not going. Well, that 80, a lot of times it happens, sometimes that 80% is for like a, a three-hour window before the race, okay? It rains before the race, it's verified. See, that's where timing comes down, and that's the things that we're looking at. When I forecast each week, I'm not forecasting for the whole day. My forecast is for that race, the hour or two leading up to it, and then the, the whole race itself. So that's what you got to look at. I mean, there are the weather service, and of course, most apps have now hour-by-hour hour forecasts. So you got to understand, before a fan, that's why I think a fan should always have the best information. Yeah, use Aaron and myself, race weather, and, and, and NASCAR weatherman. But yeah, go to an app and, and compare it. And if you see differences, by all means, say, hey, why is there a difference? You know, why does my app, and that's a better way to approach me instead of saying, hey, my app says this. You're, you know, don't come across like you're wrong. My app says this. But say, hey, why is there a difference? And we're more than happy to tell you the difference because, like I said, sometimes in how we approach things, I think you, I love the one part you asked was, how do you approach a week and change it? We, we change our forecast. Uh, we have to. And I, I, I'm probably more guilty of this than maybe Aaron is, <laughs> but I will say that I tend to, I tend to change, I tend to, I tend to change. Sorry about that. My, I, I have to get. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, I, I tend to. One of the things I tend to do is. Um, I have my sons here, so that's what the interruption was. But I tend to kind of start off a little pessimistic. It's easier to take rain out of a forecast and be more forgiving than it is to add rain back. So I may tend to lean a little more pessimistic on a Wednesday or Thursday if it's close, and then slowly pull the rain out if I feel like it's an, it's an improving forecast. And I really hate adding rain later on if I have to. If that makes any sense. 
So you just talked a little bit about, uh, and even prior throughout the conversation, with you and Aaron and how closely you guys work together and have started working together over the last couple of years. Talk about just the relationship and how that works out for you two. Obviously, there's a geographical difference between the two of you. Each of you are looking at sometimes different models or different things. How, how do you guys work together and, and 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 not only put together for your own websites, but you have a Patreon page also that you're you're constantly updating. Talk a little bit about how that came about and how you guys are working forward to make a better forecast for race fans going forward to give them the best possible information. Well, generally, I mean, we, I mean, <laughs> he probably knows the numbers better than I can because it seems like they all blend together, but. I mean, Aaron and I have always been friends, and we were in, contacts, in, in, in contact with each other when we both started doing weather. Uh, now, when we, were separate, when we were separate entities, um, when we were separate entities, we, uh, you know, yeah, there's a little, there's a little competition, um, and we weren't talking that much. But sometimes we'd say, "Hey, what, what do you see?" And so, so I think we, when we started becoming more friends and started to talk to each other about a forecast and say, "Hey, I noticed you're doing this." Like we would DM each other privately before we joined forces, kind of saying, "Hey, what are you seeing? You know, I, you know, I see you're different than mine. What are you doing?" And then we started just talking about the forecast, and then I think we both kind of decided that with as big as things were getting in the demand by NASCAR fans for our weather and stuff, that you know, I brought the social media. He's got a really great raceweather.net. Uh, that you know, combining forces, and it's been a really big help because there are just some weekends where family comes first. All right. That's just it. You know, family comes first, or we have different things going on. My job sometimes gets in the way. I mean, I have, as an on-air television person, I've got appearances I have to make on a Saturday night or a Sunday, and so I can't always necessarily, you know, be doing NASCAR weather. I try my best on my phone. So what we did was we decided, hey, let's work together. Let's see what we can. So what we'll do, and, I, and a lot of times, uh, somebody asked this on Twitter recently, and I thought it was a great question. Do you guys ever, what happens if you guys disagree on a forecast? Well, first of all, we rarely, really disagree. We might, timing might be different, uh, our, our, our temperatures or what our thought process, one of us may be more pessimistic than the other one when it comes to the outlook. So we'll, what we'll do is, what people don't see is we'll text each other, we'll call each other, and we'll say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. What are your thoughts on the forecast for uh, Darlington? And he'll be like, well, this is what I'm seeing. We're on agreement. Okay, cool. Or so one of us will just say, hey, I, I see that. That's what I'm going with. Okay, what do you think the odds of racing? Here's what I think. He might go, oh, I go a little higher, and then, uh, then we'll be like, okay, well, let's just split the difference and then just see what happens. So it's a lot, it really is, we're a team now. So we may come at the initial conversation seeing slightly different things, but once we talk, because we're scientists and meteorologists, we can go, oh, okay, I see that now. I see what you're talking about. Or he'll be like, oh, okay, I see where you're coming from. And then we work together. And if one of us will say, oh, I, did, I missed that. I mean, it's, it's very positive. As you said, I'm in Idaho. He's in Houston. Uh, we see things sometimes differently. Our training, you know, what I do, because I, I, you know, I think Aaron's very suited for what he does because of his job and his business. He's a private sector meteorologist, and he does a lot of forecasting for, you know, energy companies. And he's got to be very specific. I'm in television. I cover a much larger area. You know, I've got a bigger, broader paintbrush that I have to paint with. And so sometimes I have to change mindsets and how I approach things because it's a lot different forecasting for several counties like your TV meteorologist does or forecasting for literally a couple square miles because that's really all we're forecasting for. And, you know, sometimes we'll get, we'll, we'll get crap from people who say, well, you said it was going to rain. 
you taking the time to come on here with us tonight talk a little bit about how you guys put together weather the weather forecast that goes into just the work you put into weather forecasts on the weekends but before i let you get out of here let everybody know how they can follow you out on on twitter facebook any of your other social media websites and where you're going to be posting your weather at as long as well as your patreon page so everybody can join in and help you guys out for all the work that you do again brian thanks a lot i appreciate you taking the time tonight well, thank you so much. Yeah, easy to find us, first of all. Uh, Aaron and I, most of our Patreon posts are free, but it's like, I think it's, uh, uh, I think it's race weather, uh, and I think it's like a race weatherman. Boy, I should even know our own Patreon account. <laughs> you can search us, race weather, and if not, find my link. The best way to find our Patreon account is easily just to look for our post. I'm uh, I'm no longer with SB Nation. They let me go. I will be honest. They uh, they just kind of stopped their NASCAR coverage. If you've noticed, a couple of their NASCAR reporter and myself both were uh, just basically they're going in a different direction. Uh, so I do most of my weather posting on our Patreon account. You can find Aaron at RaceWeather.net, and of course, following me on Twitter is at NASCAR underscore WXMAN. And for those of you who don't know, it's not Waxman. Uh, WX is the old Morse code for weather. Uh, so WX is an abbreviation for weather. Just for those of you who might have not have known, no, I'm not into big into waxing my car. And then you can also use the same one, NASCAR underscore WXMAN uh, on Facebook. Uh, and, of course, the Patreon account, we only think, the only thing we really do for just our Patreon subscribers is early outlooks. Uh, but you know what? We're open to doing more things and helping out our fans and different things like that. I mean, we're not asking for a lot. Uh, but a lot of this for Aaron and I, you, you've heard, we have our main jobs, we have our families, but it takes a lot of time each week and even dedication on a weekend uh, to cover NASCAR uh, and NASCAR weather and being there for the fans. And sometimes uh, our wives and families become uh, weather widows <laughs> sometimes when it's a busy weekend. And I, God bless my wife. I, when I say this, you probably won't hear the podcast, but i got to thank my wife and family for letting me do NASCAR weather the last 10 years. Thanks a lot, Brian. Take care. Thank you, man. Listeners, that was Stephen Wilson there sitting down with Brian. That's your underscore with a man with Twitter. And we also had Aaron on earlier. Uh, Stephen, it's very interesting how much time them two put together and, and listened to to both their interviews, how they were their separate in, entities, and then they joined together. And it, it really blowed up, just like you and I. It sort of brings back memories you and I doing this radio thing. We started out, you know, just trying to talk about this and talk about that, and it's really blowed up. And we've had all kind of race car drivers, uh, media members, uh, TV personnel, crew chief. We, you name it, we've had it on here. And that reminds me a lot of Brian and uh, Aaron. Doesn't it used to? 
Yeah, it does. And a lot of what they've talked about, they went over a ton of different subjects. And, you know, one of the things they, they just kept talking about is, you know, how they got started and the people that helped start them out. Um, I think they, they've named, you know, Jeff Glock that helped, you know, get get them, you know, some uh, some attention in the sport, give them some kind of credibility in the sport, um, you know, and, and all the time that they put into this. I think a lot of it is that, you know, again, many of us put a lot of time in and many of us, you know, do different things within the sport. They talked a little bit about how, you know, they didn't really, you know, they they never thought of one another as like, uh, you know, rivals, but they thought of one another as, you know, equals that could help one another out, and that's eventually what they did. That's a lot about, you know, the sport. We we race every weekend, and everybody races against one another. Everybody competes against one another, but at the end of the day, everybody's just one big family, and I think that just kind of shows right there some of, you know, how this sport really is driven today. Exactly, Stephen. And like you mentioned, uh, you can't put a dome over a racetrack. You just can't do it because the carbon monoxide kill everybody in there. And it's just, it's just a product of uh, of racing. You're gonna have weather, and there's no ifs, ands, and buts about when you're gonna have it or if you're gonna have it. It's definitely gonna happen. But them two guys there, they do an awesome job, Stephen. And I want to thank them both for taking time to come on. And Stephen, uh, honestly, I've I've got ready. Uh, I've got the uh, the schedule for this weekend. I'm going to assist you, if that's okay with you, because I know time you read off, especially we got, we got we got the the uh, top tier three the top three top tier three series are at Bristol Motor Speedway this weekend. So I'm going to help you out a little bit. Uh, the schedule events at Bristol uh, this Thursday, August 16th. The Camper Royal Truck Series practices at 9.05 a.m. to 9.55 a.m. All times are Eastern. That will be on Fox Sports 1. In the Xfinity Series practice, 10.05 a.m. to 10.55 a.m. That will be on your NBC Sports app or streaming. Also Thursday, Camper Royal Truck Series final practice, 11.05 a.m. 11.55 a.m. Eastern time on FS1. We've been modified to our final practice. They're up there also. Big Big deal going on at Bristol this weekend. Bruton Smith and the bunch up there. 12.05 p.m. to 1.35 p.m. No TV, no radio. The Xfinity Series final practice is going to be 1.35 p.m. to 2.25 p.m. That's streaming on the NBC Sports app. Willing Modified Tour Qualifying is at 3.55 p.m. Eastern. Camping World Truck Series Qualifying is at 4.10 p.m. Eastern time on Fox Sports 1. Then the Wheeling Modified Tour race is going to be at 6.05 p.m. There's no TV. There's no radio. And then Thursday evening, radio pre-race, 8 p.m. MRN has that. TV pre-race, 8 p.m. Fox. And then the Camper Royal Trucks is Uno 200 at 8.30 p.m. MRN has your radio. Fox has your TV coverage. And I'll ask you if you want to cover Friday. And Saturday, you got the floor, but I just try and help you out. <laughs> yeah, um, to Friday, it's 3.40 p.m. Uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series qualifying to be followed right behind NASCAR, a Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series qualifying. 
730 uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series Racing, 300 laps, 159.9 miles in the Food City 300. Then on Sunday, the night race at Bristol, 500 laps around the last great Coliseum, 266.5 miles will make up the distance for the Bass Pro Shots NRA night race from Thunder Valley. Stephen, you're making the trek over there, correct? Your first time to Thunder Valley. I will be making the trip out there. We're going to be covering all kinds of good stuff from uh, the race weekend out there. Um, yes, it is my first trip to Thunder Valley. Never been there before. Uh, and I will, um, yeah, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to see all the sights. And we'll see what Thunder Valley is really all about. Stephen, I'm going to tell you. It's like they say, uh, Bruton Smith and them, they named it the last great Coliseum. There ain't nothing like it, brother. It's like Suzanne and I, we've been, I think we've made seven trips there. It hadn't been in a while. But I remember Suzanne's first trip when she walked in there. I think I'd done been two or, two or three times. We had tickets, and I want to thank Terry Hogue. Terry Hogue Electric took us with us up there, and we stayed in Gatlinburg and actually drove up. And uh, whenever we walked in, uh, we were in the co wiki Terrace between turns one and two. And I won't ever forget Suzanne's face when we got we got off the elevator, walked out there, and sort of she sort of walked out and looked through the breezeway, which we had to go on up a little bit further. But she looked out there, and uh, I remember the first car I seen looking right behind her was the number twenty four of Jeff Gordon. They were uh, uh, like practicing or qualifying or whatever. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but uh, they got out there, and Suzanne said, "Tim, you know what this looks like." I said, no, ma'am, what? She said, it, look, with all these different color cars, it looks like a bunch of Skittles in a toilet bowl. <laughs> and it's it's loud, brother. It's loud. It is loud. When y'all leaving out, brother? Y'all going to head out Thursday, Friday? What's y'all's plan? We're going to head out Friday. I'm going to miss the truck series race. I'll be there for the Xfinity Series and Cup Series, so. for brother y'all have fun and be safe and Stephen thank you again for doing that interview that tape interview there with Brian as he was busy I want to thank Brian for coming on I want to thank Aaron for coming on everything that they do for the sport of NASCAR y'all give them a follow on Twitter and all that but uh we're going to say good night uh until next Tuesday evening uh I'm Tim Despain you follow Speedway Digest this weekend uh Bristol Motor Speedway will keep you up to date on all the weekend's coverage for the NASCAR Camper World Truck Series, NASCAR Xfinity Series, and the Monster Energy Cup Series. Until next week, Tuesday evening, good night from Talladega, Alabama. So hold me when I'm here.
Bristol Motor Speedway, the place where you can forget about work for a while. Celebrate the good old USA and take in the best bumper banging, fist waving, hero making short track race of the year. The Bass Pro Shops NRA Night Race. It's America's Night Race. This is what you live for. So be there August 18th. It ain't just another race. It's Bristol, baby. 